Another take is brought to you by Original Grain. Original Grain was started in 2013 when brothers Ryan and Andrew Beltron were inspired to create a watch that simply didn't exist. Influenced by their roots growing up in the Pacific Northwest, the mission was to create unique timepieces that seamlessly integrate natural hardwood and stainless steel. Today, Original Grain is not only known for the craftsmanship that goes into each design, but the stories that can be told about the materials used. Like the brand new New York Yankees watch, made with 1923 Yankee Stadium wooden seats. Man, that is freaking cool. Or how about the Brewmaster, a tribute to the craft, made with traditional beer barrels. You can find all these watches and more at OriginalGrain.com. So head on over there and check it out. And now, another take. It's Mike from Another Take. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, today, Jeff is out on tour with Tomorrow's Bad Seats, so it's just myself and our special guest, uh, Mr. Jim Lindbergh from Pennywise. That's right. How you doing? Hanging in there. Got a got a day of mixing. I've been in the studio the last couple days with some bands. How about you? Nice. I just got out of band practice with uh, Byron and Randy working on some new songs, so I'm oh, yeah? all sweaty because I was playing guitar Fletcher's MIA today so we were a power trio Pennywise <laughs> which is very weird without the hulking presence of Fletcher yeah. hovering over us because with him you're almost like a five piece yeah <laughs> exactly uh yeah and he, he's not one to sit in the corner quietly and uh, let the proceedings happen uninterrupted right uh, yeah. more the polar opposite he wants to uh be involved in every nanosecond of debate so uh it's funny when we we when we play without him it's uh it's uh it's easy is it <laughs> yeah, I but uh but i mean that's always been the pennywise dynamic we have to so it's trial by fire to right. get stuff out of us right of course yeah that as i mean pretty much every band i mean yeah you kind of have to force it out of everyone on yeah. every once in a while sometimes it comes easy right yeah. i mean yeah and then working with other people, you always have like that weird struggle and dynamic that you just can't. Oh yeah. Like put it this way. I was up at 3 AM last night writing hate mail to Fletcher. <laughs> so that can, that can tell you the email is the worst invention I think of mankind because, uh, we've had more problems over email because, you just got to stick to the facts. Don't like go for any theory on you, how you think things should be or, you know, cause no one's going to take it the right way. And especially when he gets on there, I just want to like take every syllable and every vowel and say you're wrong. Right. So that's how we roll. That's a, my, I, my problem with email is I think it just becomes, you, you get so much is lost. Yeah. In in email, yeah. people think that it's actually easier to communicate via email. But right. in my experience, I'd rather talk on the phone with someone right. and have, you know, you can condense uh, a sixteen email chain yeah. to ten minutes. Oh yeah, and say, same same say, thing with text. Right. Uh, I've done that with my daughters. You know, we we're one time waiting on something, and uh, you know, it was like a fifteen minute wait, 
And if we just would have gotten on the phone and said, hey, I'm coming down, meet me in the lobby, it would have been great. But the text time right, the that it took time. that made us late for the event. The lag know? time is killer, yeah. isn't it? And then when you call someone, it's almost like you're you're bothering them now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, my kids will not pick up the phone. And we get in huge fights because I'm like, you know, what if I'm dangling on a, a cliff somewhere and I want to <laughs> give my last goodbyes? <laughs> You know, pick up the phone if it's ever me, and they still won't do it. They don't care at all. It's right. like my my middle daughter literally does not know how to do it. I've seen her like pick up the phone and she holds it out and here looks like, at it. like she's looking at a text. I'm gonna put it up to your ear. <laughs> it's absolutely frustrating. That's uh, that's something I'm gonna have to figure out. I guess I have a yeah. one year old one one year old now, so he's got a headset. Or uh, he's he's figured out the phone though. Believe <laughs> yeah. it or not. I think yeah. from my parents, because my parents watch him three days a week, yeah. I'm almost certain that the reason he knows how to answer a phone is because of them. Because yeah. his mom certainly doesn't answer the phone. His mom's yeah. like your daughters. Yeah, yeah. They should much rather text. Oh, yeah. Much rather. It's uh, so much easier because with text, you can just text back and forth. But then if there's something you're not okay with or you're not sure about, you can just pretend you didn't get it. You right. know, I got busy. <laughs> right. You know, that, that one statement you said, I'm... Oh, phone died. <laughs> right. I don't want to answer that. Like when you're on a phone, phone call, you can't just right. suddenly go silent. Right. Absolutely. I don't want to answer that question. I, I kind of miss the days. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day where my dad was, uh, you know, back in like the early 90s. My dad uh, passed away when I was eight. So um, I only have those memories. But like early 90s, I remember if it if the dinner, if it if the phone rang at dinner yeah. and beyond, yeah. it was like, who the hell thinks yeah. they can call me right now. <laughs> yeah. And like that world does not exist. I got, yeah. a, I got a text message from, a, from another band. I, I tour manage at like nine 45 PM. I'm literally in bed about to go to sleep. And I'm like, what yeah. the hell are you doing? Texting me right yeah, now. Yeah. But the rules are, there are no the rules. rules are off. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's why I was up at 3 AM. Right. <laughs> Writing emails. Yeah. Um, so, uh, tell me you, you, you and I are familiar with each other cause I've mm-hmm. worked for you guys before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about like your guys' upbringing and mm-hmm. and what happened, like how Pennywise came to form or whatnot. I've been a fan of yours since I was pretty young. I, mm-hmm. I think I was like ten or eleven when I first got. I think my first album from you guys was uh, Full Circle, uh-huh. and um, and so I don't know much about the beginnings, like the the origin of which, like how you guys started. Uh-huh. Well, it's very different. Um, I guess there's some bands out there, like the Beach Boys, for example. There's some bands out there that, that grew up together, and but I would say the majority of the bands out there found each other when they wanted to form a band, whether it's in late high school or college or even after, you know. But we all grew up in the in a same small area, and I I knew Fletcher from school of just being, you know, one of the guys in the punk scene, big, tall, skinny guy. He wasn't always as big as as he is now, but, um, so definitely knew about him and Jason grew up on the next street over for me. Right. Since the original bass player, the original bass player, Jason Thurst, who passed away. Um, uh, and, but the thing was that he was a guy that I just thought was, you know, just such a cool cat growing up. You know, he was always in the same bands as I was. Um, like I said, we lived a block over each other. I saw him pretty regularly, and he was a couple years younger, but then high school came around, and um, I think I was I was in various bands in high school, cover bands and, and lame stuff. And he was <laughs> in a band called PMA, 
with some friends of mine, uh, Steve Kranz and Davey Ladder, and it was just super cool. And I love that it was called PMA because I was just getting into reading Thoreau and Emerson, all these guys that were about PMA, and I loved Seven Seconds. I loved mm-hmm. uh, Dag Nasty, bands that tried to put a little positivity in their, in their music. So super turned on by that fact. And so I was like, man, I really want to be in a band with Jason, you right. know, because old friend and stuff. I started playing... Uh, and in this one band, I knew Fletcher and and Jason had started Pennywise uh, with another guy and a, another couple different guys. And then they got Byron and then the other guy left. And Fletcher came to a show that I was playing down in Redondo Beach Pier. And I actually went up to him and said, he was there to look at uh, to check me out, and I went up to him and said, "Dude, when are we gonna jam?" You know, right? And you and he, you, you were familiar with Fletch, like you knew yeah, who he was. Yeah, I knew he was and... pretty much a wild man. You right. know, you could tell. But uh, um, at the same time, I wasn't an angel either. I I was uh, I at, at at that time, I had gotten like, uh, you know, suspended and kicked out of school a couple times. But then I ended up going to to junior college, went to San Diego State for a year, was always uh, into surfing and partying and stuff like that. But then I got, went down there, was kind of on my own and ended up graduating from UCLA, got really into English and studying. That's why I got into all these authors and stuff and all this theory. And so it was kind of like, right when that, right when those guys were forming this band, Fletcher and Fletcher and Jason, and they just got Byron and they had written a batch of songs is when Fletcher happened to come down to where we were playing. And I said, Hey, let's do this. And, and I wrote about it in my book, punk rock dad. I distinctly remember that moment when he told me where to go. And I come back and I see this, it's this house, uh, kind of clapboard house, you know, in, in Redondo. And then, the the back one car wooden rickety garage mm-hmm. and it has skulls graffiti spray painted that obviously Fletcher had done and right and uh things like that and and I remember like standing out there for a while and hearing them playing and it sounded cool but I totally had this this like foreshadowing of, of like I'm walking into the rest of my life right now I mean I just totally knew it and I'm and I sat there just going, should I do this or not? And I sit out there for a long time, like listening and going, like, if I walk in that door, yeah, you're probably I'm, not coming out yeah, the same person. Yeah, I'm not coming out the same person because <laughs> I just knew and and I could hear the songs and they gave me a we went, you know, I just listened to them practice and with Jason singing and and I did the tape and and, and took the tape home and and started work on the songs and it just. It literally right from there we played our first party and it was just raging out of control and then it just each party got bigger and bigger and that was it there was no like time to reflect it was just like everything just started happening and it literally right. it, it felt like you know obviously we had crazy horrible things happen with obviously with jason but it just felt like it laid out 20 years later, like, what the fuck just happened? Right. From, from that minute I opened the door. And here you're almost at 30 years now, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. Like, the first couple of years you did Word from the Wise, you did uh, Pennywise, Yeah. and then Unknown Road. That time span, it's only like four years, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Where you just, I mean, that was, what, like 25 songs, yep. probably? Yeah. <laughs> like, just 
We had a lot of stuff, out. and we played all the time. We practiced, you know, a few days a week all the time, and um, the songs came really fast. Jason wrote a lot of the songs. Fletcher wrote um, a lot of the guitar stuff, but Jason wrote lyrics and guitar stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, they came pretty darn quick. And, uh, you know, getting signed by Epitaph came pretty yeah. quick. We just went to KXLU and... The guy liked our stuff and gave it to Brett, and then we had a record deal, you know? It, wow. That, that... It was quick. <laughs> and when you were growing up in that, like, punk scene, did, like, obviously, Brett Gurowitz is the owner of Epitaph. Yeah. And was the founding member of Bad Religion. Right. Um, Like, were you listening to Bad Religion in those early days? I'll tell you what. When I started hanging around with the guys, with Jason especially, because we were good friends. Like I said, we grew up to a block apart we right. definitely knew each other and and friendly and all that and uh i knew his girlfriend uh megan at that time so we totally hung out my wife and him and we were good friends and he turned me on to um the suffer album mm -hmm. and I, I i had every punk album growing up but you know suffer came later and um i i, I said when we did the Danzig tour there was two records at that time that we all listened to religiously, it was a religiously, it was the Danzig record and suffer. So it was those two things because everyone loves the misfits, right? You know, but those were the albums that came out around that 88 time mm -hmm. that it was like, well, this is cool. You know, besides all the old punk that we listened to, like it, it felt especially like bad religion was bringing it back away from, because so many bands, that were in the punk scene in the uh, late seventies, early eighties had now totally changed, right. totally gone metal or glam or tried to went for the big time. You know, they, a lot of these guys can't pretend that they stayed hardcore forever. You know, right. a lot of them followed the, uh, the hair metal bands up to the sunset strip. And right. uh, it definitely had gotten weird and bad religion just came out with this record that was, minute and a half, two minute songs, no mm -hmm. fluff, no glory, no makeup, no uh, no overproduction or anything like that. And it was just, and plus the most important thing is that was, for me, it was smart, you know? I knew yeah, that they were- Yeah, he's a great were, lyricist. The lyrics were just fantastic. And um, being an English major, I was just really turned on by the whole thing about, you know, about, yeah, the world's messed up and we gotta change it, you know? and Right. And uh, sounds naive now, but you know that was a something that really inspired me because I I could have gone a different direction. I was in a, right. a band that was totally just trying to be a K rock band, you know. Right. And then when I walked into that garage, it was like, no, this is what I want to do. This is way cooler. Would you say like the themes between you and and um, oh god, I can't think of his name right now. Um, the singer of Bad Religion, Greg Graffin. Greg Graffin. Um, the themes are pretty similar. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Well, so, they were a huge influence. Yeah. And and it seems like religion seems to play into your lyrics. A little more than theirs. Like, they, they talk about religion, obviously. They're bad religion. Right, <laughs> so yeah, So, of yeah. course, it's... they bring it up a lot. But the difference for me was I was, a, uh, you know, an altar boy in the Catholic Church for years. Nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then I was a born-again Christian that a lot of people don't know that uh, out of uh, high school. So that's, there was a lot of, of uh, working through that in those first records mm -hmm. uh, and like, a, and then the song, nothing, you know, of 
uh, I, you know, who knows what your religious beliefs are and what your theories are and on, uh, uh, on whether there's a God, I, you know, but I wanted to work through that in the music. And I thought that's kind of a little bit what set us apart, you know, and the fact that as much as I love Brett and Greg's uh, lyrics, they're head and shoulders of 99% of the people out there um, in, in their intricacies. And, and they're talking about theory, you know, uh, I have, I've always been very proud of the fact that, you know, that our bands have tackled some really important subjects, man, like, and debated them in music, rhyming to a, you know, very fast beat and to talk about, you know, very important things. Whereas let's be honest, some songs are just fucking, I'm the best MC in the world and, right, you know, right. kiss the ring yeah, and fuck bitches, yeah, you know, all yeah. kinds of stuff like that. And which yeah, is, yeah. which is fine. Everyone wants that party music, but for me, I wanted it to be something like, Hey man, let's dig into some shit. And, uh, and so the big difference for us was, I think that I wanted to have a, a positive vibe, more like the seven seconds dag nasty style and uh, minor threat as well. And um, I also wanted to, you know, delve into those, the idea of belief. And right. what, and that's why we, you know, however many years, many years later, we had an album called Reason to Believe that was about, you know, our, our belief systems and, and things like that. So if there's any way we diverge, it, it goes to that, the whole right. religion and positivity thing. Yeah, you can hear in, in um, even in uh, About Time, I think it's the second track, uh, where you, I think the whole song's pretty much about religion and belief. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't think yeah. of the name of it right Waste now. Waste of time. Waste of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty stark, you yeah. know. I, I'm, But, uh, and I've, I've thought about that before. If I, I, I wouldn't want to send people off a track that they're on, you know, but at the right. same time for me at that time of, you know, especially what's going on in the world right now. And you look right. at eight year old girls getting blown up by uh, um, a suicide bomber. Yeah. And all these people debating on who God is and what he wants. Yeah. You know, and if you don't trouble. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't think it's, if, if it's real, you're absolutely crazy. And if you want to just sweep it under the rug and not talk about it, but I, I mean, obviously we're diverging all over the place on this, but uh, it's very, very important to me and something I put a lot of thought in. I have kids and you know, they like Ariana Grande and they're like, what? Like someone right. blew something. How do, how do you talk to your kids about that? You know? And you know, and I also was watching the, the news coverage and going like, man, you know, everyone's, oh, what do we have to do? You know, what do we, what do we, you know, we need more security. And, and um, these people hate us because of, they hate our freedoms and, 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 or whatever, all these different things. Like, no, man, it's, it's a lot more simple than that. Right. We're fighting over who God is. Right. That's exactly and, right. And yeah. they want to uh, start a caliphate and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's the age old question. It's a religious war that we've been fighting for 2000 years, you know, and, and unless people can completely change that, we're just going to, we shouldn't even be shocked really. You right. Know, it's just going to keep happening. So when, uh, when, when you were growing up in the punk scene, like that anti-religion kind of thing definitely seeped up but as a Catholic, mm -hmm. how did that kind of like those dichotomies play in? 
<laughs> to 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 like your worldview and what what you were growing up with. Yeah, you know, because I'm definitely a very moralistic, very ethical person, which is strange in our band. You know, uh, um, you know, we're the fuck authority band. Right. You know, and but also being a parent, um, I knew that you know kids have to follow rules and things like that but i didn't want to force any religion on them right you know, i'm very much about like letting them figure them out figure it out for themselves you know and because that's what what's happening in the world you know right. what what if we you know everyone had their own religious ideas and kept them themselves instead of like oh you're my son you've got to believe that everyone who doesn't look dress and act like us is a total enemy and you should probably go blow them up you know Maybe let that kid figure it out. You know, I, I can, I can tell my kid not to touch the stove, not to cross, uh, not to jaywalk and things mm -hmm. like that to keep them safe. But, um, so th the whole, it wasn't really an anti-religion thing, uh, uh, dogma that it was more of, uh, trying to promote people to question everything because I grew up in the Catholic church and, people should definitely question their clergy there and right. what's going on. They should have a lot earlier. And uh, and people should uh, question what uh, is being taught in some of the schools in Afghanistan and Pakistan and things like that. So uh, I, I wanted to, with our music, uh, promote debate, you know, and have people at least think about it, right. come up to their own conclusions. Which is essentially in... in um waste of time that's kind of what you're doing yeah you're you're positing questions right for for you know what you believe yeah um so uh did your parents or anyone like close to you have any influence on on in music for you how did you kind of fall into like music um, uh just because it was totally entrenched in the culture in the south bay you know right. uh, it's hard not to when black flag is at your Seven Eleven, and the descendants are playing in a front yard on your way to the beach, you know? Right. Um, and uh, the circle jerks uh, used to practice at the, across the street from the place that I worked. You know, it's like, that's like someone having Led Zeppelin, the Beatles and the who living in their neighborhood, you know? And mm -hmm. I, you know, later on I'd see Henry Rollins walking around. He would always walk, you know? And, and, uh, um, that's, that's huge, but, um, so the community around you kind of just enveloped you yeah. in, in the music culture and yeah, but also being a, a latchkey kid, not in the sense I was locked away, but both my parents worked. So, um, a lot of time, um, you know, after school, uh, you turn on the AM radio and you listen to FM radio or whatever, and, and you play your albums and while you're you know, skateboarding, you know, put your Walkman on. So right. it was just, it was just all about music. And plus I'm a child of the MTV generation, MTV. I mean, you look at the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, the kids in the sixties were hugely, you know, enveloped in that. But imagine then that in, when MTV came along, now you've got it 24 seven and the new videos are coming out hard and fast and uh everything's on there from blondie to talking heads to all this new crazy music the police which well, I, I love the police you know and all these great bands and 
it just totally changed our culture, hundred percent. You know, right. and then you have obviously living in living next door to Black Flag, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, like, that has an influence, I'm sure. Yeah, or not I, living next door. You know, yeah, well, I did. I did work across the street at Altadena Dairy, uh, which is across the street from the church, just because I wanted to. I was all, oh, right. this guy's going to let me yeah. work here, and I'm going to be right next to church. Maybe I'll see some I, of the guys. I totally forgot about that Altadena Dairy right yeah. there on Pier Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that poor, our, our poor boss. I uh, I feel sorry for him because he should not have hired 15-year-old kids to run his <laughs> run his store. <laughs> oh, that was a huge mistake. Yeah, that church is pretty famous. Um, for people that don't know, it's it's... It's in Hermosa Beach. It was it. It wasn't ever a church, was it? Was oh it no! Actually, oh yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, it's and, been torn down. But before, it's got a storied history, and uh, perfect segue. We're uh, we're I'm doing a documentary on the whole history of Black Flag, so you can and and Circle Jerks in the South Bay. Oh, so cool! You can watch my documentary and and you'll learn all about it. But and I'll, people who've seen the decline of Western civilization, obviously you can see Black Flag in the church. But yeah, it was an old abandoned church that the hippies took over. And uh, but it has a long storied history in the uh, uh, in the I believe it was in the forties. You know, it was uh, you know the church uh, in in Hermosa, which was Hermosa was more crowded than it is now at certain times. It's hard to believe, but there was yeah. A, that the mobs on the beach, there were so many people here. Like, yeah, there's a lot more houses now, but so they had a lot going on there. But at a certain time, uh, the KKK did a rally down Pier Avenue. Wow. You know, a That's lot cool. of the the first, the, the surf industry, skate industry, all that was started in Hermosa Beach. So we want to do this film about the importance of, cultural importance of Hermosa Beach. But yeah, back to the church, um, you know, like the main reason I wanted to work there is because... Okay. Uh, the main reason I wanted to work there is because uh, I wanted to be close to where Black Flag played at one point. <laughs> yeah, stupid. and and they, if I'm not mistaken, they did um, like a couple of their early records up, like up above it, right? Yeah, uh, Media Arts was, Media a, Arts. was uh, yeah. a, a little bit down from there, but yes, it's like same little block, right? Yeah. So Spot was running around, and all those dudes. It was and and one of the first, the chick that was uh, this girl that was in the scene. Uh, Janet lived on my street and I remember being one of the first punkers in the South Bay because I would surf every morning before and after school and you got to imagine what a trip that was like I had seen hippies I had seen all these people you know crazy beach people surfers and right everyone and biker gang guys lived at the top of my hill Hermosa was a very bohemian place and then all of a sudden I saw this chick who was like dressing really weird and that was like my first thing of like, what in the world is that? And I remember I'd pass her house and she's like, that punker chick lives in there and that's crazy. Right. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, what are the, what's punk, you know? And then got the Sex Pistols records, Ramones, and that's when it, it took off. But I remember seeing a punk rocker before I ever knew what it was. So did you grow up in Hermosa Beach or Manhattan Beach? I grew up in Hermosa. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought yeah. you, for some reason, I thought you were a Manhattan Beach. Well, uh, I was born in Manhattan in the house, of, uh, uh, the location I'm at now. And then we moved to Hermosa Beach when I was seven years old and 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 then got back into my parents' house later when I was having kids and married. So what was, the, what was Hermosa was, like back then? 
Well, I'll tell you, it was Manhattan was a lot more just middle class. So the the whole both both cities, the whole South Bay is very middle class. So it was it was created by the defense industry, the aerospace industry, right. Raytheon, yeah, Boeing, yeah. those types. Of- yeah, Northrop Grumman, TRW, yeah. all those fam working families needed somewhere to to uh, to live. So they created suburbia there, and uh, um, but. Hermosa definitely had a, a little darker, more druggy, a little more bohemian vibe. And there was definitely more hippies around because it was a little closer to the beach. We were kind of East Coast Manhattan. So it was very suburban neighborhood, very typical American neighborhood. But it, it, it was funny because I, I moved. I had just gotten, it was my birthday. I just got a brand new bike, Schwinn Stingray. Was so stoked. My first bike. We moved to Hermosa. I put it in the backyard and got stolen the next day. <laughs> so it was like, I'm all, okay. You know, I'm in a different town here. You know, right. bikes get, your bike gets stolen in Hermosa. And, uh, and then also there was a biker gang lived up the street in this abandoned castle. There was a restaurant, French restaurant that looked like a castle to me. It had like turrets and stuff. And there was a full on biker gang living in there. So every time I'd go up to the liquor store to get candy, I'd have to, you know, see choppers and crap like that. And so I definitely knew I was in a different place. Right. And, uh, but also going down to the beach, places like that, the whole, um, I mean, if you saw the movie Blow. Yeah, the, yeah of uh, course. The uh, whole drug trade was started in Manhattan Hermosa from all these people that wanted, wanted Coke yeah. <laughs> and uh, weed yeah, a lot of uh, stewardesses and pilots from LAX all lived in the little bungalow apartments down there, and it became a party town. Right. And I mean, I, and then I started going to uh, grade school there because I was seven, and our, our school got burned down by s- some kids, arsonists. They burned the school down. So I was like, I went from like the cleanest, most, uh, you know, Protestant wasp. A uh, right. little school into like the school getting burned down the right. next day, so it was an adjustment, but it was absolutely super fun. My yeah. my kids, uh, my my friends and I rode dirt bikes every day after school. We surfed before and after school. We skateboarded on the strand. We went to surf movies at the cove. Mm-hmm. We had uh, probably the best upbringing anyone could ever want because we were just f- had free reign. My my, right. my kids, my parents came home at five six o'clock. You know, give us dinner, have a cocktail, and go to bed. You know, but that's right. all we saw them. Right. So, are you a son- you're an only child? I take it then. No, I've got an older sister, but she was doing her own thing. Right. She didn't care about what I was doing. Right. <laughs> and she probably didn't have any influence on on your musical taste. I would imagine at that time no. in the eighties. No, nope, definitely. 80s, I was 70s. doing my own thing. You know, uh, a, a year apart is eons at that age. Yep. Absolutely. She was. She was kind of more into. Uh, probably the Carpenters and Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was getting into, you know, Queen, Cheap Trick, and, and all that before the punk scene happened. So because I, I know this because I'm local too, and I, I, I moved to Hermosa Beach when I was 15 mm-hmm. from Glendale area. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the time, like, Hermosa's changed from when I moved here totally. 15 years ago yeah. or a little over that, you yeah. know. Uh to where it is now now it's like almost unrecognizable yeah now it's beverly hills at the beach again. it is it's yeah. like manhattan and manhattan beach is i mean how is it's westwood at the beach yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and uh 
that time change i mean i know from my, my stepdad the reason we moved here is because he wanted to live in the south bay mm-hmm. and he when we were moving here uh pond like pondered like the old days and like what it was like when he was living here as a, as a 20 year old mm-hmm. in the 70s wow and hearing the stories like i totally forgot about the biker gangs but yeah. he told me about those he yeah. told me that that was kind of the norm back then oh yeah um yeah. and then growing up in manhattan beach or not really growing up but like because Hermosa is so small and doesn't have a high school, you kind mm-hmm. of filter into M- Miracosta. Yeah. Did you go to Miracosta then? Yeah, I lived right. Uh, I walked to it every day. I lived right down from Spiderboard Surf Shop. Okay. So yeah. I'd walk to school every day and had a great time there too. So uh, the song that I always related to when I was younger, because uh, About Time for me, probably my favorite Pennywise record, at, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say it is my, my favorite. And it's funny because it's the older one. I didn't discover it first. It was like, Mm-hmm. third but uh the song perfect people just yeah. hit me like especially going to miracosta <laughs> yeah yeah hit me like a ton of bricks right and it has changed from when when you were there mm-hmm. but like th- the song is essentially I, I mean i'll just read like the chorus is fucked up by a stupid grin perfect people won't let me in who's who list where's my name they won't let me join their game i bet you think that i'm insane yeah i mean that was my experience <laughs> going to Miracosta. Yeah. And I wonder, did that, I mean, that obviously had an effect on you. Um, What was that like growing up in a, in an environment where you literally like everyone does seem kind of perfect. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that was a huge part of why punk rock exploded from this town. When you consider three of the most influential punk rock bands came from Hermosa beach. And it's because there was a class war going on. But there was also a who's cooler than who war going on. The cliques at Maricosta were the same ones that were throughout the country, but they were hardcore. And they were, you had the surfers mm-hmm. who thought they were the coolest people in the world. You had the jocks who wanted to exert their dominance. Of, they were the coolest big man on campus. Yep. You had people just trying to get by. You had the nerds, you had the geeks, you had the band people, you had the stoners, the heavy metal guys, you had the punk rockers, you had all these people. And the punks, I, I remember I was in the office and I saw a guy, uh, Janet Housen's brother, who had a, um, and he was a punk rocker and he had a backpack and it said, kill surfers, kill, like kill all surfers. And then, and then the jocks would call the punkers Devo. That's, you didn't call them punkers. Like they were all, they were so dumb that they thought that anyone who was a punk was someone who liked Devo, you know? <laughs> and so they'd be like, Devo, like kill them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just the same thing that you went through. You know, I was born, uh, you know, had an eye condition. So I had a total lazy eye, wandering eye for years and still do obviously. But um, so that the line of that song, fucked up eyes, stupid grin, you know, I, I obviously wasn't fucking, uh, you know, the, the perfect jock uh, surfer at the school. I was into all of it, but it was when I got to <clears throat> San Diego State and I went down there and there's a whole fraternity system there. And I started going to some of those parties with some of my friends and, and then it was laid out even more. And, and of course that's the fraternity system is like, we're going to let, we're going to let you in. Who are we going to let into our cool guy thing? So that song is actually more about the fraternity system than the high school system. Well, it's it's about all of it. It's about my, everyone's experience, but my whole, whole life of having that, you know, the perfect people not letting me in, you know? And, uh, 
and it was just a total reaction, you know, of like, um, you know, of uh, going to that party and seeing what it was all about. And it just seemed so fake and plastic. And, 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 you know, however many years later, the song still absolutely resonates in the sense of all these people. Fuck, they all look the same. I mean, what are we right. doing with plastic surgery? What are what are we all doing? Like, perfect example is plastic surgery. Like, we all want the perfect nose. We want the perfect lips. We want the perfect eyes. We want the perfect everything. So our selfie on Instagram looks perfect. Right. To a point, we've become such fucking narcissists that we are, we're turning into this, like probably how it will be a hundred years from now. Everyone will just look the same, you know? And that's why I was talking about when I write the songs, I love looking out into our crowd and going, wow, look at that dude. He is a big, hairy, tatted up guy with a beard. And, and look at, there's a girl with purple hair and glasses and she looks, and there's a Latino guy and, and, uh, very contrary to what the LA Times lied. We do have a very, we have a lot of variety in our crowd. It's not all those big tough guys, you know, running around. There's a lot of girls in the front row. And, and, uh, but just seeing that whole um, group of people of going like, man, this is, this is what punk rock was supposed to be about. Right. And, you know, it was supposed to be for, the people who didn't fit into the mainstream for whatever reason, whether it's the way you look, whether it's the way you dress, that you don't want to buy into the mainstream cool thing, totally, you know, all the cliches, march to the beat of your own drummer. But um, that song was just a total, uh, I wouldn't say cry for help. It was more of a fuck you. Right. I don't want to be in your frat. Right. I don't want to be in your, in your, uh, you know, that world, I want to do things my own way and I don't give one fuck about anyone who doesn't like it. Right. And you kind of revisited that a few albums later too, I think. Yeah. Um, in my own way. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, like, it was definitely, it, that's something that's, that's deep inside you that, um, that you, if you're someone like me that you have to take, you have right. to, um, uh, have an attitude of, I mean, not to get into to it too deeply, but you got to imagine if, if if a lot of times you come up to people and they like are going, are you looking at me? Like, are, are you like, I, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, there's something wrong with you. It's like, you know, always having that thing of, uh, you know, the first thing they say to people is, oh, you got to look them in the eye, you know, you know, right. to get this thing. Well, man, when I was younger and I, I could never do that man, it was hard. It was hard to have social situations, but luckily I had a bunch of friends who really accepted me and they understood it. And they were like, Hey man, you got a fucked up eye. I got a, you know, I got a bum leg or, uh, you know, everyone's screwed up. So I've been very, very good my whole life at knowing, finding those type of people that aren't superficial, that aren't fake, who like only judge a book by its cover and don't give a fuck about what's on the inside, you know, and, uh, been fortunate in that, but it definitely gave me a fuck you attitude. And that's why when fuck you Fletcher came walking in and was like, you want to talk? Fuck you. I know about fuck you. Fuck everybody. Right. (laughs) But, um, so we were the perfect team to put together in the sense of, we wanted to make albums that were like, Hey, I want to do things my way. 
and I don't care who doesn't like it. But the problem that we didn't anticipate that we're also going to do it to each other, <laughs> which is what we were doing at 3 a.m. last night. You right. Know, of, uh, hey, man, I want to do things my way. He wants to do things his way. He wants to, I wanted to work on the record two months ago. He wants to work on it two months from now. Right. So, and, and we're both wrong. Right. And it's the, I mean, that's the, the beauty and the curse, the, the curse of, <laughs> you know, being a musician and yeah. being in a band with somebody else. Yes. Yeah. It is a, it's a struggle at times. That's at times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You, you've been on the road with us, Mike. Yeah. Uh, it's funny though. On the road, we are a lot more docile. I think everyone is. Cause I, Hey, we're on the road now. And like, it's a team. Yeah, and, and and you're like, hey, we got to get this thing done. I mean, uh, we have our run-ins and stuff like that. But now we're like, hey, we're on the road. We're playing shows. All our fans are there. It's a great time. But it very much being in a band, you got four people, at least in our band, you know, trying to paint a picture at the same time. You know, I kind of um, I've been in a band, um, and for the last six months of my tenure in the band mm-hmm. i pretty much couldn't stand the guitar player like just <laughs> yeah. and i and i lost patience with the whole process and whatnot he and i are actually really good friends now yeah uh because we kind of we separated and came back to you know it was a good separate separation from us right. i don't i find that i could not probably be in a band i don't think i have the personality <laughs> type because i would just be like i i would i don't know i'm just too individualistic in that sense where i would want to control everything and yeah. not having control yeah, drives me nuts, and it and it and it almost forces me to recoil right. a little bit. Which, totally. And and I and I see that with some bands too, and and it's and it's tough because you like that's the exact wrong, yeah, <laughs> wrong way to to kind of like yeah. fix a situation is to just recoil and say, well, fuck it, whatever he does, he does, and whatever I do, I right. do. Right. You know. Oh yeah, and and then the worst thing is to start sending each other emails, right? Because <laughs> in the emails. It's like, you know, you could say something like as easy as I want to put out a killer record or we need to put out a killer record. The other person is going to take that, which, which you sounds like, well, of of course, yeah, of course you want to put out a killer record, but the other person go, well, what do you think? I don't want to put out a fucking killer record. (laughs) Like, you know, you think I'm sitting over here going, you know they, what? I want to put on. I want to put on a shitty record. Right. That's what I'm thinking. They they just they just assume the worst. Like like yeah. you, like you. I have my the band's best interest at heart. What right. do you have? Yeah, right? exactly. Like, Come on, that's yeah. not the way it is. You know exactly. That. So all of those rhetorical arguments like that, you're just like, dude, just get to the brass tacks in, in the in the in the discussion. But um, it, it's never been easy, and there's a uh fallacy out there uh perpetrated in no due part to whether it was my documentary or um uh things people said or um you know or the um you know any type of uh uh gossip or whatever what they people thought I left left the band in 2009 uh because i want to spend more time with my kids you know that's what you know the uh um thing was you know and and i didn't want to tour and things like that well i had just come off more touring than we had ever done for any record 
uh, and I was ready for a break. I right. wanted to take a break because we had had enough of each other. You know, that was after the fuse, correct? Yeah, and that was after the I, uh, Jägermeister tour with I, Pepper. I, yeah, well, for those that don't know the. That the the poster for the tour that he's speaking of is actually hanging hey, above my, hey, my looking desk down, right looking down at well, us. It wasn't there a week ago. I oh, swear, well, no. As someone, some elf came in and hung that one up, hung that up. Nice. And, and that actually used to be in the kitchen, but yeah. um, uh, so that was not intentional. No, so, no. no <laughs> but so, that, but it's funny that that. You know what's really funny about that, yeah. and, and it's totally coincidental. Um, Yassad was in here, the drummer for Pepper, uh-huh. uh, was in here yesterday, and we were recording drums for their EP. Mm-hmm. And I looked up and saw the dates, yeah, uh, April 13th through the May 3rd, and then May 13th through June 3rd. That's a solid six weeks with yeah. a little bit of time off in between. Yeah, and let's not forget, children, it was called the Jägermeister Tour. Right. So what the <laughs> F word do you think was happening on the Jägermeister Tour? <laughs> right. Okay, and... Uh, you know, I didn't want to do the tour for that fact, and but the other guys really wanted to, and our booking agent said we shouldn't do it, but the other guys wanted to do it, and so I got outvoted, and we went. Right. It was fun. I love the guys in Pepper. Yeah. We had some great shows, but it got out of hand. Right. Several nights. <laughs> right. To the point, I was very worried about the safety of... Uh, We'd already lost the one bass player, and I was definitely concerned. And 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 uh, you know, other people didn't agree with me that there was a, uh, problems going on. And then it just deteriorated after that, where I was like, "Look, we need to take a break. I need to take a break." And it was part of it was due to my family because like we had we'd been touring and obviously gone had just been gone for six weeks on a mm-hmm. hectic tour. Oh, we were having some personal issues, and and uh, um, I was like, "Hey, man, now it's time to be with the family," you know. Mm-hmm. And for we had done album tour, album tour, album tour, album tour for twenty years up to that point. Okay, with and you know, think of the bands that have taken a hiatus, you know, like right. a, a year long hiatus. Whether it's when Greg Graffin went to teach, or or. Um, Brett Kurohitz quit to recover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Or yeah. Tim Tim from Rancid did a side project band, yeah. and they yeah. didn't put out record for how many years? You know, we needed a break really bad. And um, it was a situation where they were like, well, we just got an offer now to go to Brazil, and we all want to go, you know. And, hey, to their credit, they sa- I said, you know, hey, I don't want to go to Brazil right now. I want to you know i need a break i want to take a break and they're like well we want to go and we you know we'll get you a nanny we'll we'll get you all this stuff but it was like it was time for a break for me i needed a break from all of that type of craziness that you're talking about how you get to the point where you just hate someone's face mm-hmm. man i've seen your face too much uh we've been in a bus together for so long i needed a little time and uh you know it got once again fucking email came and uh that was blaming me for you know we would be a bigger band if uh we had just toured more and and blah 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 you know not to dig up old stuff from the past but i think there's it still is a situation for me where it still kind of resonates you know today of like 
um, repairing that uh, of that time where it's like, Hey, wanted to take, and then uh, want, want to take a break. And it's like, well, either you do what we say or make your decision and quit. Right. You know? And it was like, wow. Okay. All right. I guess I quit then, man. Right. <laughs> you know, and put out a nice thing of like, all right, good luck in your days, but wow, that's weird. You know, but I, I, I you know, I definitely before that felt like things were the the uh, communication and and things had gotten really strained and stuff. But so we had a wobble there for a while, definitely for a few years, and we did different things, and uh, we don't have to get into all that. But now we're back. the 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 thing that has really, I think, um, helped us reunite as a band and things like that is having the response of our fans and the people out there. Like when we played three shows at the Palladium, you know, and, and people say, or, or, or just, we just played Sao Paulo and had a great crowd who loved us and were stoked to see us play. And someone asked me like, Oh, how long can you, how long can you keep doing this? And, and asked me many times. And it's like, you don't give up when you got that. You know, right. you, you know, when you give up is when you're in a, 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 a small club and there's your mom is there and your girlfriend and two other dudes. Right. <laughs> but when there's crowds everywhere that want to see you play and they love what you do and you can go to Brazil and play a show to a bunch of raging fans, that helps you work through all the shit that you have to work through with your band members and put up with. And hey, I'm not an angel. I know I'm. On the way that Fletcher, especially, wants is controlling and wants to get his his way and everything. I want to get my way in that I want things to be organized. I want us to have a schedule and a plan mm-hmm. so I can plan and things like that. But that might not be other people's way of doing things. They want it to be off the cuff, and you know everyone has different things. So finding a way to navigate that is probably the book that I'm going to write that's going to sell millions of copies and save a bunch of bands. I've now been on the road for five years, Mm -hmm. um, and I was recording music for, God, how long before that? Eight, six or seven, you know, five of those professionally. I've seen, like, every dynamic, and I've lived the dynamic on a bus. Yeah. And I don't think most people understand what that's like. Yeah. Because you take your coworker that you one have to create and be pro- like, yeah, you know, productive with, yeah, and get along with, right. and then you jam, you know, into a forty-five foot bus, right, for weeks on end, right, and you expect those people to get along. Like right. I know people that go to work every day that probably hate their coworkers. Yeah, the f- the fact that we have yeah. to get into a bus with them and live with them and live with them. And then went get home, like them enough to make a creative effort and yeah. have it be good. It's insane. It really is fucking it's, insane. Yeah. I, I tell my wife all the time, I'm going crazy. Like that's <laughs> what is happening. I, I am. She'll like last night. She woke up like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like in bed on my iPad, just like furiously tapping out some freaking hate mail to Fletcher. And uh, it is crazy. And another, I mean, add on to that. As long as you're on the subject. How many people out there, when you go to fly somewhere, okay, and all the frustrations of, oh, I'm going to the airport. Oh, shit, there's a gnarly traffic jam. That's frustrating. Yep. And then you get in there, and it's crowded as fuck. 
and then the security and they've messed up your ticket mm-hmm. and now here's the security and the security is a hassle and that person's a jerk and you're with a bunch of people okay now get on the plane oh and now all those things that can go wrong there and how many how many people out there have sat on the tarmac for three hours right because they their gate wasn't open i have hundreds of times right okay so you're completely while you're trying to 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 be friendly with these people you and have so much issues be, you're be also creative. going through incredibly stressful <laughs> situation frustrating situations with them you right. know and you know at certain parts when i snap it's usually something over travel you right. know eddie vetter put it best they don't pay me to play shows they pay me to travel and uh, that is a great one i might <laughs> yeah, yeah and you know, when we get to Croatia and I find out we get off stage at 2 a.m. and the hotel is an hour away from the venue and we have to be in the lobby at 6 a.m. So I'm going to have two hours sleep. I'm pissed. Right. You know, and I'm going, who arranged this? Who scheduled this? I want their head on a fucking platter right, right. now. Right. And and as a tour manager, it's tough because you, yeah. like, I mean, I work for a, a couple you probably yeah. don't know this, but I work for some DJs Yeah, and I don't travel with them. Mm-hmm. So I just arrange all the travel. Right. And it's almost weekly that I hear something and right. it's like, I've slowly refined the process, right. but it's never going to be perfect. Right. Because no. it, there's too many things at, at play right. that, that I, I can control some things, right. some things I can't. Right. Right. And it's, it's so frustrating for them. I know, right. I, I know it. Like yeah. I got an email um, or a, a call the other day about it. And it was like, what, why am I, why am I on this flight yeah. that leaves at eight in the morning? Yeah. Um, and, and this is the beauty of it. It's like, well, the, the flight, the flight arrives at your destination a couple hours before you're set. Right. So you have some, t- some downtime, you know, right. if I had flown you on the later flight that you, that you are now telling me about, you would have 45 minutes between the time you got off the plane and you played your set. Yeah. So you'd probably complain to me about yeah. not having Both enough ways. time in between. It's a lose-lose for yeah. me. Yeah. And, and, and it's stressful for, for everyone. Like, for everyone. And it's not even his fault or anyone's fault. No. That's just and, the way it is. And a perfect example of that situation on paper, you know, I'm going through this again right now. I'm looking at our summer, August run and i'm like we're not gonna make that right. switch <laughs> right. we're playing a festival in rome and then a festival in uk the next day how does that work right you know um and so uh you know that you, you can't help it because like like that perfect example we're playing in rome and then uk the next day well okay that works and you look and you go okay well we got to catch a flight that morning and be there early right. whatever okay that's great but what they don't tell you, oh, and that what you don't know six months in advance, oh, well, you're closing the second stage or, or you're early on the first stage. And, you know, they put out the set times, you know, a couple of weeks before. Right. You don't realize it. Oh, well, you're, well, you're headlining the main, the, the side the support stage, or you're playing really early on, on the, the big, on the big stage or, or something like that. Well, we never plan on the fact that you're not getting off stage till two in the morning. Right, and, okay. then, now and then you have fine. an early flight because yeah. you play early the next day. Right. And that is pretty... Yeah. <laughs> it's it's well, frustrating. Well, imagine for the, the regular person, okay, of, you know, we're going to sound like we're complaining, but I, I think this is an interesting thing for people who go to shows and, and musicians and tour I managers. Agree. There should be a show, maybe it's your show, about tour managers 
and and the shit that they go through but it's like imagine for the regular person uh let's take a a job like let's say a, a fireman or a uh someone who works at the airport it's like hey it's you know it's a, or, or anything that you do it's like imagine having to do it on two hours sleep you right. know like hey they, <laughs> right. they just pop you out of bed at 2 a.m and it's time to go okay well that's right. cool one night okay and now you go to the next show and all your friends are there so hey man let's party up let's have some beers let's have some drinks now you're hung over right now the next day oh shit schedule got screwed up right now i feel like hell and now that one time you see that band and you go you know they sounded kind of shitty today you know yeah. oh man they they look like they're getting old it's like no dude it's the fact that they're on about three hours sleep the bass player is extremely hung over the the drummer hates everyone he in except the crew guys <laughs> and the guitar player uh just wants to start a riot right so so that's what and then you got me who's just like uh trying to to, to get through it all without you know croaking right so that's what you got on stage and and i'm amazed sometimes when when i come off stage and go fuck yeah we played a good show like yeah. how the hell did we do that right you know so it's crazy you just hope that there's not the LA Times there. Oh God! <laughs> Scanning your every move. That's a reviews are interesting, aren't they? Mm-hmm. As I was like kind of preparing for this, I read I read one uh, from uh, All Music. Are you familiar with All Music? No. It's just a website that yeah. catalogs albums and yeah. gives, it's a great place, a resource for engineers because we actually get credit on there, so oh, cool. you can see your you know your work history, or someone else can see your work history. Okay. Um, but there's some great reviewers on there, and and my one of my favorite reviewers is a guy named Stephen Thomas Erlewine. Okay, and he actually reviewed Straight Ahead, okay. and I and I was like, oh, Stephen, and this is the only reason I read it is because he wrote it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's cool. He reviewed re- reviewed a Pennywise record, and he put it so succinctly. He's like, uh, you know, it's it's tough in like the in like the late '90s for punk bands to make records that don't sound similar and alike because. It's the nature of the music, and it is what it is. But Pennywise does it so well because they're a tight band, and they've been doing it for so long, or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Uh-huh. But I find like reviews can be semi deceiving because you don't know the person's back background or oh, what yeah. their own like right, biases biases might be. Yeah, right. and I wonder like, do you ever have trouble with that? Like, I mean, you mentioned the LA Times now twice. So I'm assuming <laughs> there's like some yeah. sort of We've had fantastic reviews in the LA Times and Rolling Stone, and we have had dismal reviews in the LA Times and the Rolling Stone. So you're absolutely right. The one thing that I've always kind of talked about on that is that um, I don't think a uh, vegetarian should be reviewing meatloaf. Right. And <laughs> so if you like, if you don't like skate punk, uh and this type of music like don't go in here and just start just bagging on it right. in general right okay um i i think reviewers have every right to complain when they think the band's being lazy and uh or that they're just doing it for the money and just whipping out some empty slogans to uh do the next record um but uh, the LA Times was a perfect example of the 
you know, we were doing this reunion show when I came back and was really, I was really stoked about it because it sold out in 10 minutes and it, it really for kind of showed that people were stoked we were back and, you know, selling out two shows that quickly was huge for us and uh, just really happy about it. But the, the guy seemed to come in there with an agenda to um, bag on uh, our whole kind of scene, you know, in the sense. But Fletcher gave him some definite grist for the mill when he ushered the homophobic slur into the microphone that, uh, unfortunately, we all grew up with. Right. The other, other F word. Right. (laughs) And, and our, our fans and our friends were going crazy and some weird shit happened and he, Hey, you F and F, you know? And so he decided that we were hate speech, that we were, um, a bunch of white dudes, tough white dudes. We were, you know, and had just basically dismissed the entire band, just gave us a really bad review. But to me looking out there, it's like, I have, all these positive songs that I wrote, I'm totally anti the whole hate thing. Um, uh, and then I'm looking out and there's tons of Latino girls in the front row and, uh, and, and all these great, uh, there's women, there's white dudes, there's, you know, uh, people a, of, of every, it's a diverse crowd. Yeah. It's a diverse crowd. And Very so to make crowd. it out, like we're like this, you know, white jock band, like, yes, Hey man, there's some truth to that. There's, there's definitely that element in our crowds, but I just thought it was a low blow. And, um, you know, Fletcher was ready to track the guy down and, uh, make him pay. But at at a certain point, if you agree to be in this business, you have to allow people to have their say and they're going to take their shots and man, it makes you more resilient. You right. know, I've even read uh, uh, one of them, uh, one of my favorite reviews, uh, the, this guy who worked at, uh, a friend of ours who worked at Theologian, he cut it out and and had it above his desk. And it said, what's up with this Jim from Pennywise guy up there shouting in the South Bay and something, something like, this guy should shut up and make me a sandwich. You know, and it's like, <laughs> it was just like that perfect. And here, this guy is like shelving, I mean, this guy is putting uh, Pennywise CDs into a into a jacket all day, you know. But it just was like perfect, and it was like at a certain point, I just got to laugh at it and go, like, "Yeah, that's pretty funny." You yeah, know? that's good. Now I I should just shut up, you know. But at the same time, get up there and you play music. My friends from the South Bay are there. I'm gonna yell, "What's up, South Bay?" Right. Is everyone having a good time? How many things can you say from the stage? But uh, when it comes to reviews, you just got to take them from with a grain of salt. And, uh, you know, the ones that you feel are honest, and you believe the ones that are great, you're all, yes, that guy right. got it right. Mm-hmm. And that guy who said I'm a jerk, he, he's an idiot. Right. <laughs> so going back like, uh, to maybe when you were a little younger, um, something we always do is we always ask about mm-hmm. the three albums. Mm-hmm. You've already told me what a few of them are, but if you don't mind, would you <laughs> repeat? I love the, the story about, the first one. Oh so yeah. Can you? <laughs> yeah. First the first record. record. I I was pretty young, and I listening to AM radio. I'd heard this song "Saturday Night" by the Bay City Rollers, which, um, is amazing because 
both Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols and Joey Ramone from the Ramones, two of the uh, pioneering bands of punk rock, both of them pointed to that song as being the song that made them want to play punk because the band wore plaid outfits and they had spiked hair and they wrote the song that went... It sounds like a pop song, but imagine if you had some distortion. Oh, if you, uh, if, I mean, I, if I hear the Ramones playing this. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. Night. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. What year was this? Do you know? I can't even remember. But keep it playing, and, and you'll hear it in a second. You're talking about the chant? Yeah. I don't know if it starts with that. But uh, that's Hey Ho, Let's Go. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, why, yeah. that's why Joey wrote, he wanted a chant. And uh, Johnny Lydon wanted their look. S-A-T-U-R-T-A-Y. Right. Hey Ho, Let's Go. Right. So you can hear it. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, you can hear it in the melody, too, in the chorus. Yeah. Like, it's a total... Like oh, it's, well... It definitely the Sex Pistols and the and the Ramones especially the Ramones are Beatles pop chord progressions with the heavy distortion and velocity right um, Ramones turned the that beat you know right. uh, and and made it super fast but it is still that the structures of their song are total Beatles structures and uh, Chuck Berry you know yeah, they weren't reinventing the wheel, but they they took the look and the attitude, and that's what. So my first album, I wanted to get this song, just because I heard it and liked it, and I went down to uh, Rubicon Records, where where uh, Keith Morris and uh, Greg Ginn met of and Black Flag, started Black Flag. Yeah, went down there, and my mom said we want Saturday Night, and the guy sold us. Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting by Elton John, <laughs> Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album. And I took it home and I was so pissed. And my mom went back there and like got one of the only times I ever saw her because I was so angry. I was like, I wanted Saturday Night, not this one. <laughs> so do you actually like the song by chance? Like did, uh, now? And or? now I love Elton John. I love that yeah. record. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't think I ever got it. I think I had to. I, I think I got this instead, and I loved this. Then I loved this record. Right. So did you this keep this song, record? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you did keep oh, it. Oh, because another song. This is Benny and the Jets. Yeah. These are all starting to sound a little yeah. punk. You know, it starts. His to, whole vibe was like punk rock. Him yeah. and Bowie, like the way yeah. that they presented themselves as an artist. Bowie, Iggy, and uh, you know these bands were definitely starting to turn the corner from from Led Zeppelin. You know, it's like that's what they were different. So did did uh, Iggy Pop have an influence on you too? No, I missed the boat on Iggy until much later. Really? Definitely David Bowie. Uh, I got uh, Aladdin Sane. Actually, was my second record. Oh so really? I'm gonna change it oh. now that I now that I remember that Aladdin Sane was uh, my second record. The Beach Boys might have been uh, something my sister got. And but I loved it. Right. Played it over and over. So you did have one album introduced to you by your sister, maybe. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Because I I grew up as a 
it's always funny because it, uh, we always, I always feel like I was introduced to music by my friends, older brothers, right? Because I, my sister is 10 years older. My brother's 19 years older. They didn't have right. anything to do with me when I was little. <laughs> yeah. They in fact th- ignored me. <laughs> yeah. And, and it always seems like the, the brothers or the older brothers or the siblings are the ones that kind of passed down right. that whole vibe. Well, that's all you got. Yeah. So, um, I never remember the song off, uh, you got a Latin saying up now. Yeah. Well, what's the, uh, song? She looked a lot like Che Guevara. Panic in Detroit. Panic in Detroit was punk rock. Yeah, so all that in that time coming up, it was like these progenitors for what would come later. So you had, I got that, I wanted that Saturday Night song, then I got the Bowie album and loved that. And then I think it was Queen, uh, News of the World, which was my third one. With like we will rock you, yeah, style. and uh, and bicycle, and I think didn't have fat bottom girls on it too. Uh, it's got sheer heart attack, all dead, all dead. Spread your wings. No, no, is that some of the later? That was those came later, but it had we are the champions, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, definitely that type of. I guess it was probably glam rock, things like that. But these albums are this album. I was telling you earlier, I got I got into Queen. Yeah. Like the the like later stuff a lot. Yeah. Later on, you know, because yeah. I mean, everyone knows these songs. They're yeah. kind of they're classic. You yeah. can't really. Yeah. But um, I didn't realize that they had such a profound impact on Michael Jackson. Did you know that? Yeah. No, no, I didn't know Michael Jackson. Yeah, he he. Um, Thriller. I mean, if you listen to it, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. But he uh, he was heavily influenced by the the record from '78. And if you listen to it, it's almost exactly like you can hear the influences from Michael Jackson. It's just unbelievable. I think it's the Hot Space. Okay. Like, like listen to this. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he, it's all over the place. I think. Yeah. I think dancer is one that's really. Oh yeah, just beat it. Oh yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, which you know that was really an important thing about the '70s, and an important thing uh, for us, and probably one of the reasons why a lot of people think that we're not punk rock is because we have a lot of melody in our music and this is that's what queen was all about that's what mm-hmm. like uh, I, I the one review when you talk about reviews i didn't agree with was one set one uh, reviewer said that my monotone voice if there's anything i'm not in our songs is monotone monotone, right. monotone is you know yeah this is monotone this is monotone that's one note right i i 
my songs are, I'm not cut from the same old, I don't read yeah. from the same old story. Right. You know, they full are. Full melody. Yeah. They're full of 70s style melody. And that's why, um, you know, we've laughed. There's there's one song, Judgment Day, off, uh, I think it was Fuse. And we were in here uh, playing it. And um, Fletcher's all, that's, that melody is so strange. It's almost like, I don't know, it's like country. And I had the guitar and I started going, well, it's only right. And I'm all, it is a country song. It's just that we're playing it a thousand miles an hour. And uh, it is, It you know, that's what it is. Wait, it's what's all, what's the song? Judgment Day. Let's see if I can find it. Judgment Day by Pennywise. On the On the Fuse? Yeah, I think so. I think it's on the fuse. Who knows? It's like the last song or something. 10, 18. No? Maybe it's... Album before that? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's on From the Ashes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote this one, so... <laughs> All my songs have... A... Uh, a melodic thing that either goes back to the 70s or country or something like that. You did this here? Yeah. You did this in the, you recorded this in the room we're sitting in. Yeah. <laughs> and we had this conversation in the room. I was, yeah, you're sitting in the, almost the exact same spot. Well, actually, the couches were over there, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll hear right this, here. This is, I really like this record. Okay, so look at this right here. Okay, listen. Yeah. Who knew the down, 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 the born in a time of lunacy? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell, it dang away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who knew the down, down, down? That's awesome. <laughs> so he nailed it. He's like, it's a, like a country song, but yeah, it just played really fast. Man, your your um, your record collection is pretty impressive. I gotta say, your catalog of work. Um, with 1988, you guys re-recorded a bunch of old songs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some were written by Jason. Mm-hmm. And what was that like, kind of revisiting some old so- old stuff? Um, yeah, we did that on the the yesterday's album, and and with 1988 as a reissue, those were all. Uh, oh, it was yesterday's was the. The ones with the throwbacks. Yeah, yeah. 1988's the reissue. Reissue right, right, of, right, of, right. of that of that old album. Right, right. So um, that we did some of the songs on. Um, it was a trip because uh, Jason really had a really cool way of writing songs and really brought that positive PMA vibe to the band. And um, we'd always laugh because he he was a, a motor mouth guy. Not, not he didn't talk all the time, but when he did, he talked really fast. Blah, 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 you right. know? And he would try and cram as many words into everything, every lyric that he could. <laughs> and I, I would have to decipher the, the Jason. I'd have to c- cut out words so I could actually get the words out of my mouth. But, um, you know, it's it's always really bittersweet with, with all that stuff. And in fact, recently, um, we just practiced. We're, we're considering doing the entire Full Circle album as an album show in, in Australia first. And, uh, so that was the album after Jason died and, and we were going through the songs and it was really 
hard and, and they're really physically demanding songs they are hard for me to sing. Um, there, it's a, probably one of our most driving records. And, uh, but there's a, the last song is called, did you really want to die? And we were struggling with all the songs and we have never played that song because it was just such an emotional song and such a statement of, of what I thought about that song, uh, about, I mean, about everything that had happened. And, um, and it was funny, we played it and we played it perfectly. <laughs> like, even though we'd never played it, but we got, we'd all learn it. And, and as the lyrics were going down, we're playing this at, at Jason's house. We practice beside his house. So his spirit is always around us. And it does to a certain point, he, he, he um, that spirit still feels so much there. It's just a total shock to me that he's gone. It still is, you know, right. however many years later. And, um, you know, that song was just really working through what happened and, and my whole feeling on the thing of, of, of me, uh, saying like, man, I, I would have been there to help you if you're at such a dark spot. I, I, right. you would have been there for me. I would have been there for you. How did this happen? And the last time is, I know you didn't want to die. And, right. I, and I say that to this day, um, that Jason wasn't that type of person. So something happened. You know, I, I anticipated him, him being back in the band. We'd move Randy over to guitar. He was just going through a, a tough situation. And uh, um, he... Man, he loved his family. He loved his brother. He loved his mom and dad. I would have talks with him in the back of the van. He loved his his girlfriend. He loved life. He was a positive person. I mean, considering this Chris Cornell thing, right? You know that just happened. You know, I heard people that talked to him that said uh, the day before he was in great mood, like you know nothing wrong. And I think there, are, uh, you know, you know, you too of of all people, Bono wrote a song called uh, "Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of." And uh, it, it's absolutely very telling, you know, that um, it's, uh, you know, people can get in that moment no, and they, yeah. they do something that they can't take back and it's a tragic mistake. Mm -hmm. And so when I visit those songs, instead of having like this terrible, horrible feeling of remorse, I have the feeling of like, oh man, I feel like Jason's back in the room. Right. And I, I remember playing tomorrow with him. I remember playing, uh, you know, final chapters with mm -hmm. him and under the covers. And like his spirit was so fun and cool. And, you know, he was the reason I joined the band. Right. And so to, to revisit those songs to me was, it's amazing to play those. Cause I feel like he, he's back. And, right. and I, you know, he couldn't have put it, better than he did in Broham is man is remembering the good times and, and, and not dwelling on how these people left the world. It's, it's about remembering all the fun you had. So, you know, yeah. and that's why people respond so much to that song. It's the only way you can get through it. Right. And it's with suicide too. It's just one of those things that you just can't really, no one can ever understand, unfortunately, right. like truly understand. Right. You know, you understand the physical side of it, of actually what happened, but right. You know, anyone that's ever been close to it, it yeah, I, I've been close to it too. So it's like 
one of those things you just don't you don't yeah. understand. And it leaves it with so many you with so many questions, and everyone goes, "Shouldn't I have done more?" Right, I right. mean, I, I've I've said in countless interviews that I had the night before I had planned to call him. I mean, just as clear as day, I'm like, "Hey, I, I want to check in with Jason, see what he's doing," you know, and was that a sign or what was it? And, and then, so the next day I was like, okay, I'm, I'm on the bus right now and I'm going to go to the room. I'm going to check in. I'm going to call Jason. That's what's going to happen. And then the guy came on the bus and told us he had died. And it was that gnarly, you know, in the sense of, yeah, you're going to, the family's going to rack your brain and I, shouldn't I have done this? Shouldn't I have done that? Um, and at the end of the day, you'll drive yourself crazy with that type of thing and you just kind of go uh i look at it as uh, it's the same as if jason got hit by a car right or, or or something like that happened because i know he didn't want that for himself and uh and everyone needs to know that as well you know we were we were trying to help him through a tough situation it was never a situation where we kicked him out of the band we basically um uh you know, he was on the road with us and basically said, or Fletcher talked to him and said, you know, either you got to get the help you can, or you've got to, either you got to go home and, you know, get help or you got to do this because, you know, you're going to kill yourself the way you're going. You know? Right. And uh, it was kind of, and then it unraveled, but I mean, not to get into all the, the stuff with that, but you can tell it's still with us. Yeah, it's, of course. It, it doesn't. All of a sudden, some magic powder uh, gets uh, spread on the thing that makes you go, "Oh, okay, I've now I've totally processed it, and now it's it's easy." No, it doesn't work yeah. that way. Yeah, and so, but I guess the most important thing for uh, your listeners is to know if you do get in that moment, you've got to you've got to reach out, you mm-hmm. got to talk to somebody, you got to can't go it alone because uh, it's a mistake you can't take back. Right. And yeah, yeah, exactly. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to end on a on a <laughs> on, on a, a downer down yeah, note. Yeah, yeah. But I know you've got to get out of here. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing. We're uh, we're right now working on some songs. I think we got some really cool songs that you know we're not. You're not done with us yet. You right. know, we have I some. Can't wait. Uh, you know, with everything going on in the world today, we have a, a lot of things to say, uh, at a hundred miles an hour. And, um, we plan on doing some, some cool shows playing the, the riot fest coming up. My side project Wraths is playing, uh, it's not dead fest. Oh, really? I'm doing some shows with them. Sweet. And I'm going to have a, uh, documentary coming out on, uh, on South Bay punk string punk scene that is answering the question why did the three of the most influential punk bands of all time come from a one square mile town yeah where uh when, when do you think that's coming out do you have any idea yet we're just uh signing the contracts right now and then i'm going to start hunting down everyone in black flag circle jerks and the descendants so <laughs> wish me luck with that good luck yeah i know well i have to have you back when you do that because i'd love to hear more about that and like yeah. whatnot and, and i'm sure jeff who he texts me. He's like, "Man, good. Have fun with Jim. I'm bummed. I'm, I can't be here. You've met yeah. Jeff, right? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Jeff. Uh, Jeff wanted to be here, but he was bummed. He couldn't. So we'll definitely have to have you back on if you don't mind. Definitely. You got it. All right. Thanks a lot, Jim. All right. Thanks. 
Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another take. We really appreciate it. Uh, special thanks to Jim Lindbergh for coming in today. Uh, it was great having him, and um, we really look forward to uh, another chat after he finishes his documentary. And hopefully Jeff will be here for that one because we missed you, Jeff. Um, stay tuned. Next week we have another um, awesome episode on, uh, I think it's June 5th. So we'll see you June 5th. All right. Take care.